Okay, well, good morning. My name is Deidre Shilliday, and I will be your presenter this morning for men and women working together alongside each other and being above reproach. So I'm so glad that we have a mixed class in here because that's exactly what it's designed for. And um, that'll be, that's perfect. And so I hope we'll kind of bond a little bit and you'll see that uh, though I have titles in front of my name that that does not say anything about me. That probably says the opposite about me because my personality is so not like that. So uh, um, we'll be free and be able to talk about our biases and just uh, get to know what the Word of God, in this little snippet, what the Word of God really does say about women and men working alongside each other in leadership. So let's pray. Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you for each individual that's here. I thank for safety safety to hear. I thank you for the sun shining, Father God. I just praise you for that, Lord God, and I glorify you. I thank you, Lord God, that you are a mighty God and that you have called us for a purpose and a plan. And you, Lord God, want us to be leading others and to be led. Help us, Father God, to realize that our roles are not limited by our gender. And I thank you, God, that you created us in your image, that we can serve you and be like you. In your name I pray, amen. Amen, come on in. Well, the Assemblies of God has had women in leadership since its very formation. In fact, um, former superintendent George Wood, his mom was from Lyndhurst, Ohio, and she went to China as an ordained missionary along with her sister as a single woman in 1924. However, since then, because of culture and because of establishments, what organizations do, what happens is the practical challenges of everyday life often make that reality of what we believe is our theology hard to practice inside the setting of the church. Our culture, especially during the 1950s, I'll try not to take too many um, side trails from my dissertation, but especially in the 1950s and post-World War II with that whole back to the Victorian ideals, you know, leave it to Beaver, right? June Cleaver, she could do everything in pearls and high heels, right? It looked perfect. Sweeping the floor, do you remember that if you watched Leave it to Beaver? I mean, so that influenced our culture. So you had women, you had Rosie the Riveter, and then the pendulum swung to June Cleaver. And then it swung back, right, to the 1960s and the early 70s. And then it swung back, you're getting a whole historical lesson here, to the, which was not in my notes, to the 1980s when it said women and men are equal in the workplace. And so that meant that women and women started acting like men, right? They were equal, so treat them like a man and be equal. And they started kind of acting like that. And that's, I think, why shoulder pads came into style. That, that's not in my dissertation, but I do think that's why they came in style. But... Um, so those things, but that backfired on us. That backfired. The culture's idea of saying, okay, women and men are equal, so that means they're exactly the same. That backfired on us. And so that all of those things in our culture have influenced the church and how we do it. And especially because we 
have even higher values, right, than some of the workplaces in some areas. However, the workplace should have the highest ethical standards, no matter where you work. You should have high ethical standards. You should, you should have integrity with your fellow employees and respect for your boss. And so it really shouldn't be as drastic as we have made it in the church. We've like, we gotta one up this. But really, it should be the same kind of levels in the education field, in the business field, in all of those places. So, um, first thing is to recognize rather than sexualize. And that's our first point. Pastor Christy Northrup, who's in Springfield, she shared a time about when she was in a meeting and a pastor stated, Every interaction between a man and a woman is a sexual interaction. And as one of the only female leaders in the room, she felt degraded, of course, and embarrassed. Not to mention that that's pretty narcissistic, right? So, but this type of philosophy, philosophy has created an environment that can make it impossible for men and women to work alongside each other, respectively. The effects, again, of culture and tradition reveal what happens when the world, instead of God, defines what is a human, right? What is human? Because we were created, Genesis, right? Genesis, we were created in the image of God. Both male and female were created in the image. Both male and female were called to be stewards and managers of the earth, right? And to subdue the earth and multiply. It says it clearly. And if you would, uh, if this was a different um, session, I would get into the Hebrew with you. And it says clearly, both male and female he called. And he made them, he had created all the other animals, another tangent, he created all the an animals and he had Adam name them. And then he created male and female and there was nothing to resemble them to, like science, right? Remember biology class? So you had your kingdom, phylum, order, species, genus in there somewhere, right? So all animals, what, big cats, you got leopards, you got panthers. But when he created Adam and Eve, there was nothing to compare them to, so he compared them to himself because he had created them in his image. Unfortunately, history, early culture, especially the Greek, the Greek culture was actually way more restrictive on women than even the Hebrew culture. If you, were, if you look at your, New at your Old Testament, you'll see that women were able to offer sacrifices. They were able to go to the temple. They were at the tent of meeting, all of those things. And just, it just became more and more restrictive till you got to Jesus's day and he comes on the scene and it was so restricted of that at that time that women were not even really let, allowed out of the house. It was better for them to be in the house, especially with the Greek philosophers and what they were saying about women. So the point is that if we comprehend what is the image of God, the Imago Dei. If we look at the image of God, if I look at the image of God in Gary, instead of sexualizing an image and vice versa, then that is when we are able, we keep that to the forefront, we're able to say, you know what? That is my brother in Christ. 
Now, I don't have any brothers, but I have friends here, and I always say they're the brothers I never wanted, like Josh Williford. You're going to see some pictures of him, right? Lance Perubsky. Brothers, I... Oh, but lost it. Yep. Sorry. So, so sorry. I touched your computer. Okay. That's okay. Could you sign in? Yes, and I will yes, get it. yes. I, so I just sorry. touched it. <laughs> I just meant to tilt it and... Yes, that button is. Oh, this sorry. is that's okay. I did not know that button was clear down there. That's okay. <laughs> They're gonna be like, oh, she's gonna talk even faster I know. now. No, you were doing so good. I didn't want to interrupt. Okay. Mm. Should come right back. There you go. That's okay. It's right there. It's by that. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, where was I? Yes. So I don't have any brothers, but I do understand that. And there's nothing I, you, if you can't, like my, my husband has a brother that I don't understand their relationship because first he's not my brother and he is definitely a brother I wouldn't want. But, um, but, but there's something about as they're growing older and how he wants to have a relationship with him and would want to, wants to do anything for him. I understand that about my children. So if you can't understand that about a sibling, but you understand that about your child, right? That there is nothing you wouldn't do for them. And that's how we should be in the body of Christ for our brothers and our sisters. Not looking at gender, but looking at them as brothers and sisters. Because when we do that, what we want to do is we want to, I would want, and Timothy here, this young guy, I'd want to uncover his gifts and talents instead of trying to be so that I'm going to have to cover something up. This, I, this, this culture of suspicion and distrust has really hurt us. I've poured into many males older than me, twice my age, not now because they'd be 100, but, you know, or, or young and younger than me because I look at them as brothers in Christ. I don't think, oh, this might be an impropriety if we take the right steps. And that's what we're going to discuss a little bit more today. So recognizing the image of God in one another first and foremost, releases the potential and the purpose individually and corporately. That's what we have to remember. I think what happens is we get tunnel vision and we're like, okay, I'm just pouring into this person. Or if I just don't mentor the potential I see in her, someone else might. But will somebody else? And how many people is it affecting that she could reach because you're not pouring into her? The trickle effect, it's like Paul talking to Timothy. He said, and then you will with many men, right? It was that trickle effect. Just like that's the whole picture we have in our Ohio for Jesus of multiplying leaders. When you multiply leaders, it starts with one leader who then is probably multiplying three leaders, for example. If they're, you know, because you really probably can't do more than that, especially if you're, right, there's a boundary lesson there. And then, but if those three leaders are then multiplying three leaders, do you see the idea of it? So if that one leader doesn't take, he has three leaders and he doesn't take a chance, at least on one female, right? And so he's limiting it. And then there's two. So now there's only six instead of nine. Instead of nine. 
Another thing that we need to do is we need to contextualize instead of compromise and not let what you think. In the book Hedges, Loving Your Marriage Enough to Protect It, Jerry Jenkins, we know him from the um, Left Behind series, right? But he wrote a book on marriage and he speaks not only of the rules, but of protecting your heart to guard your marriage. And as Christians, we believe in the sanctity of marriage. We believe in the sanctity of marriage and the importance of setting boundaries regarding how we spend time alone with others. And that might mean our best bud, right? Two males together, right? How many fights start, especially when you're younger married and he wants to go fishing again, but you've gone fishing two times this week, you know? And then 20 years later, you're like, hey, you want to go fishing, right? <laughs> Come on now. This is a marriage class, but yeah. So isn't that funny, right? It's so true. It's so true. But it, we have to protect our boundaries, you know? And so for some people, it's not a problem for uh, them to say, you know what, I have male friends, I'm going to grab a cup of coffee with them, or we're going to go to lunch, and some spouses are totally okay with that. For others, they have little stricter boundaries in that area. They're not as uncomfortable, and it all comes a little bit to what God's dealing with you and your issues, right, and what's in your, what's, who packed your bags is what I say, what presuppositions that you came to the Lord with, right? We have all those things, those biases from when, how we grew up and where we grew up. So you, in marriage, you have to decide on your personal policy. For my husband and I, it's that we reserve the right to look at each other's phone, check each other's text. We look out for each other. We listen to our spirit. And if something doesn't feel right, then we say something. And we listen to those around us too, because sometimes they, like if I'm working with someone and my husband doesn't really know them, I have to listen to my teammates too. I'll have to listen to my team. That's what I mean by contextualize. Contextualize, honor your personal boundaries if, here's the thing, honor your personal boundaries if there is tension. Okay, have personal boundaries, but if there's tension, you honor them. If there's not tension, then you contextualize it. You say, there is no tension here. This is a person that God has placed in my life, and I need to do what God has called me to do. We are all leaders, and if we're all leaders, then we need to do what God's called us to do, and that's pour out what he has poured into us. Amen. Amen. Yes. So let me be clear. I think this is one. Yep, there you go. You're so good. The Bible does not prohibit respectful, caring interaction. Female leaders and male leaders, female leaders that I know have had male leaders tell them, well, I never call, I never text, or I'll never email a female leader. And I think this just simply lacks professional etiquette. What? Am I not a human? That goes back to our first thing, recognizing me in the image of God. That goes beyond, and it's an alarming policy of distrust that we have created or fell into. Every one of us, regardless, again, of the industry that we work in, have a responsibility to maintain high moral and ethical standards. 
There's a basic professional decorum, if you will, that should govern, govern all our interactions, allowing people to communicate effectively in the ministry setting. We shouldn't punish people with outstanding professional boundaries. And because she, so I, I have someone that I'm working with and I see so much potential in, in him as a youth leader. I need to pour into him. He has excellent professional boundaries. Why should my stuff affect what he, what I do for him, right? See, that's where you contextualize it. You contextualize it and you listen to the Holy Spirit. Because truthfully, it has inhibited so many women for fulfilling the call of God on their lives because they haven't received the professional development that they need and deserve. I, and that's just not, that's not my opinion. That's what I hear over and over again in my, in my dissertation survey and personal conversations and even with conversations with the national office in a mentoring program. Over and over, it's the same thing, that just that they have not had the opportunity for someone to pour into them. We are, if you look at the audience and you look at your churches, there are more males than females a lot of times in leadership. And so, okay, it makes sense. You have, a male has to mentor a female and vice versa as, as we grow. People make it hard, and it's really not that hard. It is possible to have healthy working relationships and maintain ministerial boundaries at the same time. This is the next one. Guardrails churches had in the past do not address our 24-hour connectivity and the digital access people have to one another. The, the guardrails we had in the past are do not. So we have opportunities. Let's use them to do what God has called us to do. Traveling, that makes it a little bit more difficult. I travel with males. And I, I don't know if that, oh, that's not that one. Um, you have to rent more hotel rooms. Um, okay. You have to, yeah, it changes the all dynamic of males in the meetings. But the value added by including both genders at the table outweighs any of those inconveniences. You just have to be willing to step out and do it and not take the easy route, which is usually what we've been doing in the church, avoidance. Just avoid it. Just not talk about the, I won't say the elf in the room, but yeah, it's like that. Contextualize each relationship instead of compromise. Compromise by compromise by not doing what God's called you to do in the first place, which is, which is love each other and do what God's called you to do as a leader. And being willing on the opposite end of not you just pouring in, but you need mentored. And you say, oh, I'm just going to not, you know, he's not willing, so I'm not going to ask. Don't compromise what God's called you to do. Be willing to ask. Be willing to ask. Because we need leadership practices that protect each other and the integrity of our leaders and the reputation of our churches. We need that. I'm not saying we don't need that. But policies that have been set, which is the segue into the next one, is 
has hindered our ability to do this. So our next one is we want to prioritize over ostracize or above ostracize. A few years back, Vice President Pence said that he, he follows the Billy Graham rule, okay? He follows the Billy Graham rule. And the longer I have been in ministry, the more disturbing interpretations of the Billy Graham rule I have heard. And even more, it's reduced women to just a mere temptation. So what exactly is the Billy Graham rule? Okay, so wait before you go there. So, so there's Josh, and he's praying for me. Is that inappropriate? Not in the least. Oh my goodness, he's touching me. But that's, yeah, not inappropriate at the least. We can do this. We can do this. And we, we didn't really know each other that well, but at that point, now we've gone to Africa together. And guess what? I still see him as the brother I never wanted. It's okay. It's okay. So when I first, to be honest with you, when I first entered ministry over 20 years ago, I followed the Billy Graham rule. And I followed the interpretation even that he doesn't even, I read his autobiography, and in it he doesn't even say, when I got off, when a woman got on the elevator, then I got off. He just said, I decided I would never eat or, or be alone with a woman, right? But he, the interpretation, right, it just gets narrower and narrow. So, you know, I'm in ministry, right, and 20 years ago, really over, you know, just only female, and I was in Nebraska, so we're way more progressive than Nebraska, and that's on tape. But um, so uh, I, would, I would do that. If I was somewhere and a guy got on an elevator, I'd get off. I mean, almost kind of so rude in a way. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like, oh. So, um, but I understand that. But I also understand how it's limited us. And as I said, how we have not contextualized and how it's built a, a culture in the church of distrust and suspicion. There's a reason that Billy Graham had that role in 1950 and 1960s when he started in his traveling ministry. How, okay, we have evangelists. I'm actually considered an evangelist because I'm not a, a pastor at a church. So when we have our credentials, I'm considered evangelist. But I'm not really a traveling evangelist. But isn't that what we had in the churches in the night? Remember in the 80s and 90s? You couldn't, yeah, I mean, just so big. And so when Billy, especially think about the 1950s and 60s, there were no, there were really no women on staff at evangelical churches in the 1950s and 60s. There would be really no reason for Billy Graham to be interacting one-on-one -on, -one on a professional level with someone. But our times have changed so much, and we need to change with them and say, okay, what does this rule mean, and how can I live with, be above reproach, be, have propriety and integrity and still do what God has called me to do. And that's what we're trying to figure out. That's what these sessions are for us is to say, you know what? We are going to stop ostracizing the opposite gender. And that means females ostracizing males as well. And start prioritizing that we need to lead together. We need to lay together. So how do we do that? 
As leaders, we are in an atmosphere of distrust, not giving godly men and women the credit they deserve for doing the right thing, for doing the right thing. Billy Graham was operating on standards that he and his wife set together in a time, think about how long ago that was, right? That worked for them in their context. It wasn't like Billy Graham was saying, now this is a policy that I wanna set for all generations. It just became that because kind of, and rightly so, Praise God that they had a marriage the way that they did and raised a family the way that they did, especially with him traveling, right? And so, but we can't say that their marriage was, that they stayed married for that long and made it that way just because of that rule, right? That rule didn't. And so we want to put it in context. It's important for us to begin building, and that's why we're in this workshop, together building an atmosphere of trust and cooperation between males and females in our society. But especially in the church, God created us as equals and has given us gifts according to what he wants us to accomplish. Common sense, respect, personal integrity, should win over suspicion and distrust every time. I don't understand why it doesn't. Common sense, respect, integrity. That should rule our lives in every relationship. When I walk in the gas station, that should rule my life. When, you know, when I'm talking to the attendant, when I'm being the consumer. So instead of distrust and suspicion, what can we can implement a healthy way to function in the ministry together can we have high ethical standards yes can we have healthy working relationships absolutely and we can do it to the benefit of everyone not just the two that are working together but everyone we have no idea the impact for the kingdom if we would take the chance to do it and prioritize over ostracize Donna Barrett, when she was lead, uh, lead at Independence, she would often say that she would do the Trinity rule instead of the Billy Graham rule. And this would be where you take a third person along, whether male or female, take a third person along to ease the tension. Now, did she always do this? No. How could she and get accomplished what she needed to accomplish for the kingdom of God? But if there was something or she knew someone was newer and they felt uncomfortable, she would do that. And she called it the Trinity rule instead of the Billy Graham rule. Here's the bottom line. You will find a way to make it work if ministry development is your priority. If you're focused on the kingdom instead of the way culture has defined us, you will find a way to make ministry development work. Next, we want to mobilize as we publicize. Now, research suggests, bleh, research suggests, check the time here, that diversity has a threshold of 30% to be effective. That means if you have 10 ministry leaders, how many of those should be females that you are developing, right? Three, right? So if you have 52 sermons a year, that means 15 of them should be preached or involved 
a woman from the pulpit. Or vice versa, if you're a lead pastor, if you're Michelle Thompson, then that should be your priority. You should have males doing 15%, 15 of those sermons. Our churches say that they are support women in leadership, but the leadership pipeline would indicate otherwise. And that's the same in the business field. No matter how much diversity training has happened, these books that I'm reading, this one specifically, shows us that it has backfired in the workplace because it says you're the bad guy and that's why this is all unfair. That's what it's kind of ended up being. And what they found in Google, who prides themselves, right, in being so inclusive and so just diverse and blah, blah, found that, oh man, they were not. Well, they went looked at their hiring practices. And what it's showing is that the diversity training, we need to just come to the table and say what we're saying here, be honest. We all have biases. We all have this tension and we need to talk honestly about it and not make it something that it's not. And so call it, call a spade a spade. Say there's, an, uh, there's a culture of distrust and suspicion and it's gonna take each one of us to change the culture. It's gonna take us to do that. So the goal of leaders, both male and female, should be consistently mentoring all staff and volunteer members and not making exceptions based on gender. I'm gonna kind of skip here since we're slow on time. Um, it would not be fair for a think about this. It would not be fair for a female lead pastor to develop her pastoral skills and not have someone to be mentoring her. The sectional or the I just lost it. Area. Area, thank you. The area, see old school. The area leader not be pouring into her because she's a female? Not acceptable. In the same case, it would not be acceptable for a, a male lead pastor that has a female associate and yet he will not delegate things to her because he doesn't want, he fears that distrust and suspicion. He fears that, oh, I can't share this with her. I can't be in this one-on-one -on -one interaction with her because someone might think, someone might think. Serving in a church is a setting that requires both professionalism and intimacy. There it is, out on the table. You work one-on-one -on -one with people in the church, on the mission field. You work one-on-one -on -one with people. On the college campus, you are, it's an intimate relationship. But if we do what we've been talking about and just call it what it is, we can have the right boundaries. Churches, church staff people are in a place where they need to be alone with each other. So we have ways that we can do this. We can what have what we ought, we should be having one-on-one -on -one meetings, and that's the problem. We should be having those where the door is open, or better yet, install a window. You can have meetings in public places, even non-Christian ones. I don't have a Chick-fil-A where I live, so you can have public meetings in non-Christian places. When we, what if we stopped treating each other with suspicion and started seeing each other truly as equal in the image of God? The biggest deal is we're not breaking our marriage vows by rising above the temptation. You rise above temptation, you're not breaking your marriage vows and you're working together as men and women. We need to see our colleagues regardless of their gender 
as equal co-workers in the kingdom rather than distractions. I don't see them as distractions. We must dare to follow Jesus' example from Scripture. He spent time alone with a Samaritan woman. Two strikes against him, and he didn't care what anyone thought, right? He didn't care because he wasn't worrying about what others thought. He was looking up for the best way. And what did that Samaritan woman do? She went and evangelized, didn't she? She became an evangelist. How many people came to the kingdom because he dared to spend one-on-one time with her? In a public place, at the well, where everybody could see. Where everybody could see. Being a man or woman of integrity does not disqualify one from working with the opposite gender. It actually enables us to. If we're a man or woman of integrity, it enables us to work with the opposite gender instead of disqualifying us. And that's what we've done. We've kind of like, oh, I'm a man of integrity or I'm a woman of integrity. So, right? You don't, that's not what that's called to do. We're supposed to do the opposite. It enables us. And quickly, you want to cognize so you can missionize. Practice Philippians 2.3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others above yourselves. Here's the time where we get reflective. Ask ourselves, what is our reason for not mentoring or working alongside a person of the opposite gender? Is it pride or is it protection? And guess what? Either one of those is not what we should be doing. We shouldn't be saying, I'm not going to work alongside because of my pride, unconditioned biases, right? those hidden biases, or protection, because if we've contextualized it, because that's what the Word of God has called us to do. We're disobeying the Word of God if we're not doing what God's called us to do by having a mentor or cross-mentoring someone else, at least having that opportunity. Setting policies about how people in the church interact with one another based on false assumptions because that's what they are. They're false assumptions. If you have the right boundaries and you're walking integrity, if you're setting a policy based on an assumption, then the, every relationship is likely to become sexual and full, which is so foolish. If you're walk, acting like that, then that's foolish because it does a disservice to those who are walking in integrity and wanting to do what God has called them to do. What has made a difference for women in ministry has been access to male mentors and bosses. Those who have done it, those men who have said, I'm not going to do this, I'm not not, I'm not, not going to do this because of pride or protection. Here's an excellent book, Athena Rising, how men and women should, how men, how and why men should mentor women. Two males in the military wrote this book and it's it it has a great perspective like yeah you got to take the chance and it gives you like blind spots like hey you know what these are things that kind of affect the relationship be aware of these things but they're saying what we're saying is you are hurting your organization by not by just negating the other 50 percent of what you're not 
So let's embrace change, recognize, recognize each other as created in the image of God, not someone you should automatically mistrust. Embrace the awkward conversations to contextualize each relationship so you don't compromise what God's called you to do. Do the hard work of leading by mobilizing leaders of the opposite gender and publicizing it. Get it out there, what your theology is. If you don't understand what your theology is or if you need some, like, okay, what do I really believe? Am I a complementarian? Am I an egalitarian? Am I a hierarchialist? Oh, okay, so yeah, there's lots of books. I can tell you which ones are the easy reads and which ones are the more if you want to dig into some meat of it. And finally, check your heart. Together we can create solutions and become more intentional about developing everyone called to ministry. Amen. I tried to rush through that and made a few blubbers, bloopers, but um, because I wanted to leave time for questions, but I don't know if I did. I didn't. Two minutes after. Sorry about that. Take a few. Any questions? Oh, they can run. Yeah, it's not a. It's a. It's a small building. Some of them are presenters. Thoughts or comments? I know this is the first one. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm a female executive pastor, so your your note on not traveling simply because of the extra cost. I realized in that that I was told, hey, we don't want to bring you to this coaching because you'd be the only female going and we'd need to put the together. And I realized that just put me in a box. It put you in a box. And I know that that's not the intention, but I realized that. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I did see your eyes light up when that, yeah. It's worth the inconvenience. And it shouldn't be an inconvenience. How much would you have benefited from the coaching Possibly benefited from the coaching, right? Yeah. And added to the conversation. Yeah. We need both perspectives, right? We may do things differently. When I say God created us equal, he created us equal because we're both created in the image of God. But we created us differently, right, as male and females, how we interact with our environment. I'm not saying that. This is not a bi biblical feminism class, okay? So I want to be clear about that. I had, to, I had to reassure my husband of that completely through my three years of my dissertation. And, but, because, but we want to understand that we may do things differently, but we still are both called to do what God's called us to do. And if God's called you to do it, no one should be telling you you can't or that, sorry, I can't. I might have all these skills and all this experience, but sorry, can't share it with you because you're the opposite gender. I should never do that to a male leader. I should never. Yeah. All right. It is turning. Mm-hmm. Right? Generations. Yes. 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 Yeah. Yeah, darling. And you were saying about, um, you know, it's ridiculous not to call or email somebody of the opposite sex. We would never do that on the job. Right. You wouldn't have a job. Right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. But these are the things we need to talk about and talk about. 
sincerely and genuinely, but talk about them. We're just not talking about them. We're saying we are the Assemblies of God. We are egalitarian. We believe both women and men can serve in ministry at any level, at any level. However, if you look at the statistics, that's not happening, and there's a reason it's not happening, and that's what we need to discuss. All right, that's the last thing I'll say because I could go on. You're welcome. Thank you.